Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him across the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Amen, amen, I say to you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. So they said to him, What can we do to accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent. So they said to him, What sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, friends, good morning. So, uh, I have so much in my heart I want to share this morning. The, uh, you know, what else is new? Okay, so, (laughs) the, um, here we are, 18th Sunday. The church continues to give us this opportunity to uh, dive into John chapter 6, the Bread of Life discourse. And what I want to preach on this morning isn't so much like, you know, a catechetical homily on the Eucharist, although that's great and wonderful. I want to preach this morning on um, our hearts and desire and hunger. So that's kind of the, the theme, if you will, uh, just so you can, like, track with me. You're like, what is he talking about? That's what I'm talking about, okay? Um, and here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you, too, that what I'm going to preach this morning is just like a, a teaser, uh, like a little appetizer, if you will, of, of an amazing book that I want to encourage you to read. So if you want to write it down, it's called Fill These Hearts, Fill These Hearts by Christopher West. So um, I don't see anybody writing anything down. Um, <laughs> Phil, F-I-L-L. All right. 
Fill These Hearts, Christopher West, uh, that's essentially this homily just spread out over a book. So, um, all right, so this is what I want to do. Uh, what I want to ask, what I want to look at, I guess, is the question of this, this bread that Jesus is talking about. Like, as Catholics, we fill in so many blanks when it comes to John 6, the Bread of Life discourse. We think we know, obviously, all that it's talking about. Uh, but what is this bread that he says uh, has the property of giving eternal life? That the one who eats this bread, he says, uh, never hungers and never thirsts again. Like, what is this? What is he talking about? This bread that you eat, that you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst again. This bread that gives eternal life. So hunger is the theme throughout all of these readings this weekend, right? Hunger is the theme that we heard in the first reading in the gospel. Um, hunger is, uh, yeah, the theme. And even more so than that, it's the... It's the hunger, not only in, the, in men's hearts to be filled, but it's more so the hunger in the Father's heart. The hunger in the Father's heart to feed our deeper hungers. So uh, it was hunger that caused the Israelites to grumble against Moses and Aaron. They've been liberated from slavery for all about five minutes, and they're already like angry and want to go back to Egypt. How strong the hunger desire is. They're saying to Moses, you know, why did you lead us out into this desert wilderness for us to die out here of starvation? It would have been better for us to be enslaved and have full bellies and out here free and hungry. God gives them miraculous bread from heaven, which prefigures and points to the Eucharist. And, and it's the hunger again in the people's bellies in the gospel that leads the crowd to follow Jesus. Right? Jesus fed them miraculously, the 5,000 people, with the five loaves, the two fish, he feeds them. And they're overwhelmed by this amazing miracle. Like, oh my gosh, there is a person alive who that if we stay close to him, like we'll never have to work again, we'll never have to do anything. We just gotta stay by this guy who's gonna give us dinner every time we need dinner, right? How great is that? They wanna make him king. It was hunger that led the crowd to follow Jesus. So Jesus, again, he's the author of our human nature, Jesus who knows the power of hunger. Jesus is using hunger to lead them, to, to awaken in them and to awaken in us uh, these deeper hungers, these deeper thirsts, right? Because when we speak about, like, the desires of our hearts, when we speak about desire, the language of desire, the language of longing, the language of aching, this deeply human thing, all we have at our disposal is metaphorical, poetic language. And uh, the language that makes the most sense, metaphorically, poetically, is the language of uh, hunger. The language of hunger, bodily hunger, right? We might say things like, like, my heart is starved for love. We might hear someone say, like, that little boy is craving attention. Or she is craving affection. Or we are hungry for meaning or purpose. We have hungers and appetites of the heart. And look, when you look at the world religions, when you look at the broad spectrum of world religions, especially even including Christianity, certain, uh, I guess, branches or sects of Christianity throughout human history, um, there has been this, I guess, identification of desire, of hunger, like that's the problem that needs to be solved. In other words, like, the problem is not that you are hungry or what you are hungering for. It's that you are hungry in the first place. And the solution proposed by these different world religions and these different branches of Christianity is the abolition, the squashing, the, the, the killing of desire. The problem is not 
that you're eating out of the dumpster? The problem is that you're hungry in the first place. Like, that's so the insane logic goes, right? So the solution proposed is the elimination of hunger, the, the elimination of desire. We might call this the, the starvation diet gospel, okay? The starvation diet gospel. We've got all of these desires in us, all of these hungers, all of these appetites, all of these attractions and longings, right? And the thought is that these are bad. They're intrinsically bad. They're evil. They're wrong. They're bad. They're tainted. They're dirty. They're shameful. And if you follow them, you're going to go to hell. And if you're going to be a good Christian boy or girl, what you got to do is you got to squash or eliminate or kill desire, a sort of stoicism, a lacking of desire. And this like puritanical approach, we could say, this puritanical approach to our human hearts, our heart's deepest hungers and longings, it's, this, it's marked by this repressive like fear of the body, fear of desire, that anything that's good or enjoyable must be evil. Like if it feels good, don't do it because it's probably going to lead you to hell kind of a thing. So like what does this lead to, this sort of starvation diet gospel? Well, like... One of two things, it will lead to either like, like spiritual death, spiritual starvation, the sense that we become so numb, we become so deadened, so desensitized to our hearts that we're barely recognizable as human anymore. We're just like these zombies who just don't feel anymore, who don't enjoy anything anymore. Or on the other hand, the more likely outcome is this sort of full rebellion against the starvation diet gospel what we might call the fast food diet gospel, right? Where the, the culture seems to offer, the world seems to offer immediate satisfaction for our heart's deepest hungers and desires, right? I was on the road a lot recently, especially last week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, with our teens going down to Steubenville, and uh, both on the way there and on the way back, we, had, uh, we stopped at McDonald's, okay? I don't usually eat at McDonald's. You might not be able to tell that by looking at me, but the, um, like you're starving and all you want is just like to fill that ache so you get some type of mix something. So you get like, I don't know, like uh, what did I get? I got um, Big Mac. I got a Big Mac, which seemed like a great idea. What size do you want? Small, medium, large? I'll take an extra large because that seems like a great idea, right? So you get the Big Mac, you get the, you get the, Shortly after that, you get the McGurgles and the mixed stomach ache and all the other things that go along with it, right? It's like, that's not actually what I'm hungry for, right? The fast food diet that the world promises immediate gratification to our desires. And if this is the world we live in, this is the world we're surrounded in right now. One of the, I think, most tragic case studies of this is uh, Hugh Hefner. I read a biography about him a couple years back. And I just want to read something from this biography. He said at one point in an interview, he said, I founded Playboy magazine as my personal response to the hurt and hypocrisy of my strict puritanical upbringing. He said, our family was puritanical in the very real sense, never hugged. Oh no, there was absolutely no hugging or kissing in my family. There was a point, of time, there was a point in time when my mother later in life apologized to me for not being able to show affection to me as a boy. That was, of course, the way I had been raised. I said to her, Mom, because of the things you weren't able to do, it set me on a course that changed my life and the world. When I talk about the hurt and hypocrisy in some of our values, our sexual values, it comes from the fact, he said, 
that I didn't get hugged a lot as a kid. A heart, this heart starved for love, starved for attention, starved for affection. Another fascinating detail of that biography was how as a boy, the only source of softness and comfort and affection that he had was a stuffed bunny rabbit. Go figure. So, okay, so between these two extremes of shutting down our heart's hungers on the one hand or turning to the sort of buffet that the culture gives us, the fast food diet, right? Like, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Because neither of those are a healthy option. Neither of those are what we're called to do. So between this sort of puritanism on one hand and stoicism on the other hand, um, or this self-indulgent hedonism on the other hand, like, what is, is there another alternative? Uh, the answer is yes. It's called Catholicism. So between puritanism or stoicism and hedonism, there is this third way called Catholicism or mysticism, which is what we are invited into. The God who made everything, everything good and holy, beautiful, a God who looked at all of creation, said it's good. He made everything to be so many little icons or signs that were meant to lead our hearts, to awaken the longing in our hearts, to lead us eventually to the total fulfillment of them in him. The problem is when we blame the hunger or blame the desire or say, no, the, the solution is I got to totally indulge the hunger, totally indulge the desire. Those of you who were at the, uh, the mission this past Lent that I preached, you heard me share this quote from Christopher West from, uh, I think it's from the book I said, Fill These Hearts, right? So he said this, despite all the widespread impressions to the contrary, we must impress this truth upon our souls and allow it to settle in our bones. That Christianity is the religion of desire, the religion that redeems eros. Eros, it's that Greek word that speaks of our heart's deepest hunger uh, for total fulfillment and total satisfaction. Christianity is the religion that redeems Eros, he says. And Christianity saints are the ones who have had the courage to feel the abyss of longing in their souls and in their bodies and to open that longing to the groaning of prayer to the one who alone can heal their wound of love. You see, part of our massive confusion is not understanding what God intends to do with our heart's longings, what he wants to do with our deepest hungers. That God is not in the business, he's not interested in like squashing our desires or deleting them. He's in the, he desires to complete them. Like the Father longs to satisfy our deepest hungers in what we call eternal life. But because we don't understand eternal life, we don't understand what Jesus means when he says, I've come to feed you the bread of life, right? Because here's the thing, if heaven, if heaven is what like many of us imagine, I don't want it. I know that might sound scandalous. If heaven is what many of us imagine, I don't want it. I don't want to be chilling on a cloud bank for all eternity. I don't want to be listening to heart music for all eternity. I don't want to be surrounded by like fat baby angels for all eternity. I don't want it. I don't want any of the heavens that we've ever imagined. I don't want any of the heavens that have ever been painted or depicted. And nor do I want the heaven that most modern people talk about, that heaven is whatever you want it to be. Like, no, forget that. Like, my imagination is so pathetic compared to what my heart longs for. Like, I want something that I can't even imagine. I want something that's so far exceeding what my deepest, like, dreams could be. That's what I want. 
So here's Jesus, right, offering us, he's teaching us about our hearts in this gospel. He's teaching us and like poking his finger into these longings, this longing for perfect satisfaction, perfect fulfillment. He's poking his finger into our hearts, trying to awaken them. And he's saying that I am going to give you a bread that to eat of that bread gives a taste of eternal life. And whosoever eats this bread never hungers again, never thirsts again, not because we have shut down your desire, but because this bread is the perfect and perpetual fulfillment of that desire. Like, what is he talking about? He's talking about, like I said, eternal life. This is the best thing I've ever heard written on eternal life. This is from Pope Benedict. I know I'm giving you a lot of quotes today, but this is good sometimes. Okay, Pope Benedict. He says, when we speak of eternal life, eternity is not an unending succession of days as on the calendar, but something more like the supreme moment of satisfaction in which total, in which totality embraces us and we embrace totality. It would be like plunging into the ocean of infinite love, a moment in which time, the before and the after, no longer exists. He says we can only attempt to grasp the idea that such a moment is life in the full sense, a plunging ever anew into the vastness of being in which we are simply overwhelmed with joy. This is how Jesus expresses it in St. John's Gospel. Jesus says, I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Like in the gift of the Eucharist that we receive at this Mass, at every single Mass, our heart's deepest longings begin to be satisfied, and the Father's longing for our hearts is satisfied. The Eucharist is the meeting point of two great hungers. It's the meeting point of two great thirsts. And the question then is, what disposition do we bring to this Mass? Do we bring to this reception of the Eucharist? What posture is our hearts in? Like, is your heart awake as you've come here? Like, have you come here deadened by the last six days of life, the, the grind of what this week has been? Or is your heart awake and hungry and longing? Like, what are the deep wells that are inside of you, those deep wells of longing, those deep wells of desire and attraction, those deep hungers, those bodily hungers, those spiritual hungers? What are those deep hungers that you carry within you, those hungers that are part of your story that you've taken to all sorts of other places, the fast food places of this culture and world? Those deep hungers, those deep hungers are the fuel that are meant to make this Mass the supreme moment of intimacy between you and God. This is the meeting point of two great hungers. And like, and if your heart is not hungry, like, I don't know what you're doing here. Like, if your heart's not awake and longing, what are you doing receiving the one who's like coming at you with like a, like a freight train of mercy and desire? The Eucharist is the, heart, the, the Father's heart longing for you. Like Jesus, the bread come down from heaven is giving us in this Eucharist a foretaste of eternal life. And all he asks of us in this Mass is to open our hearts in faith. Jesus responds, I simply ask that you believe in the one whom the Father sent. That you have faith, not just an intellectual thing, but the opening of the heart, the opening of the, the heart to the love of the bridegroom. That's what is happening in this Mass. 
Let's take a few seconds in silence to let our hearts become awake to the hungers that we carry here so that Jesus, the bread of life, the bread of eternal life, could satisfy them. Amen.